0: Welcome
1: to Office Hours on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the show where I bring you the latest research in the humanities, STEM, the arts, and the social sciences at UC Irvine and beyond. My name is Sabelle Kaler, and today I'm interviewing three professors of computer science at UC Irvine. Dr. Nalini Venkata-Subramanian, Dr. Sharad Maroda, and Dr. Pramad Karganikar, here to talk about their work developing a technology that allows us to track social distancing and cases of COVID-19. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. You're
2: welcome.
1: So, to start off could you all tell me a little bit about the app and how it works?
0: So maybe I'll start it off. Okay. So first of all, this is not exactly a single app. So think of it more like a platform or a system. Okay. On top of which multiple different applications and apps have been built. So the way this works is that imagine you connect using your, let's say, device, your cell phone uh, to the campus network. Right? And when you do that, there's an event that has a connection event that happens. And this connection event can be captured by the uh, OIT, which is the Office of Information Technology. And they can forward that information to us with appropriate, let's say, privacy measures. So they actually will uh, anonymize it appropriately, obfuscate all the identity, and so on. Actually, we use strong cryptography in this kind of mm-hmm. a solution. And then we get the data. And based on this data, we can do a variety of things. For example, we can determine if the particular person is in a particular region or not. At some accuracy, right? You can also determine if, let's say, multiple people are close to each other or not. So proximity of people to each other. Based on this, now you can sort of do a variety of different things, right? So you can sort of uh, do things such as density of a particular place, the number of people in a given uh, area. Uh, are there over the, let's say, capacity of the place or at what level of occupancy is the uh, room, let's say, or the region uh, occupied, right? You can likewise do analysis of where people, most people have been as a function of time over the past data, right? You can also do uh, uh, with appropriate cryptographic protocols, you can sort of determine who has, who come in contact with, like while, while, without revealing the identity of anybody at all. So once you can do this, you can build a variety of applications. For example, you can build an application for social distancing adherence, right, where you can say if the number of people who are um, in a region is over a certain percentage, then probably social distancing is getting violated. Or if there are less number of people, then obviously social distancing is probably getting adhered to, right? You can also do things like crowd flow, where what are the regions where people have The significant number of people have let's say gone through so you can sort of then schedule things such as cleaning services around that time right because several people have gone through a certain region you can do assistive technology for let's say contact tracing right so uh, you don't the accuracy of this is not as high as let's say that you're within six feet of each other for 10 or 15 minutes but you can get sort of close to it right you can sort of get a sense of who if nothing else is a reminder to who did you meet and who could potentially have been in contact with you, right? This can then assist in the in the uh, contact tracing application, applications. So there are a variety of applications that are built, but I think what you should sort of think of this is it's a tool or framework to empower organizations to sort of deal with the issue of uh, COVID tracing inside the organizations as compared to an app that a person downloads for their own purpose. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Wow, that technology is very useful right now.
0: The other aspect of it is that, um, you
2: know, there's one other, um, some other kinds of applications where some set of applications require us to know who they, uh, who, we do not need to know who the individual is. So it's privacy preserving inherently, where you want to know the occupancy of a space or if you want to know that Um, A certain region has been visited very frequently by lots of people in the recent past. But there are other applications where you may want to actually give your identity and say, hey, alert me if I have been in a region where there has been an exposure and that may require, you know, that's something that the user can opt into and ask for information uh, regarding whether... Uh, they have been in a certain region where there has been a potential exposure, where they could be exposed potentially. So there's classes of applications that increasingly, can, if you provide more information, there may be more services, but at the very basic uh, case, there it's really more about, is this space been potentially exposed? Is this space crowded? Is this space densely occupied? Um, more about the space than about individuals
1: right and so do they have to have the app downloaded to get picked up by the system or all they have to do is be on the school wi-fi
2: so yes as uh mentioned earlier there is no real app to be downloaded Mm -hmm. for the basic uses right so as when you're connected to the uh, campus wi-fi it registers a connection event we have machine learning technologies that will account for the fact that you're probably carrying three different devices with you, and um, therefore that should be counted as one as you're moving around. But um, if you want higher levels of services, such as if you want to receive an explicit alert or a notification that you might have been in a region, then you will need to download an app or provide additional information to the campus for ways they can reach out to you.
1: Right. And you mentioned that you can detect when multiple devices are owned by the same user. How do you do that?
0: So imagine that I consistently see, uh, let's say, two devices moving along with each other, right? So that would be the case, for example, if you let's say, iWatch and your phone were basically uh, with you and moving together. Now, there's always a possibility that, hey, the... Two people who are two devices that move together belong to two people who always move together. But the chance of you being able to detect that, or for that to happen, is much less frequent as compared to, let's say, a chance for you to sort of learn that these two devices are together, right? And mm-hmm. once from the pattern of movement of devices and the location over time and what they, uh, which access point they connect to, we can actually pretty accurately guess whether it is a single device or not. Okay. The second thing is that this problem is really easy to solve at the OIT level if they want to, because OIT actually maintains the identity of every device, the MAC address of every device that you have. So instead of sending us a MAC address, they could just send us the identity. That'll completely solve the problem out for us, right? The, difficult, the But the we, we, whether they solve it or not, we sort of do it in machine learning techniques anyway.
1: Wow, that's a genius solution to use the GPS tracking And what kind of impact could this have for possibly reopening the campus in the future?
3: So let me answer that, Sibyl. The campus has been gradually reopening since sometime in June. So for example, uh, I'm responsible for the research enterprise of the university, and we started to very gradually reopen to what we call phase two research uh, on June 8th. So, you know, that part has, so we have brought people back to about 30% of normal operation. Uh, and the campus is planning for uh, reopening in fall. Uh, and and you I'm sure you've seen lots and lots of uh, messages from the university about uh, fall planning. Uh, this is a really, re- this is really a research project. And I expect that as we develop the technology uh, that Sharad and Nalini have described, and test these various apps and make sure that they work as we intended them to work. Uh, I expect that the impact of this will be probably later in fall or possibly in winter uh, quarter. So uh, main thing to remember that this is a research project and we are still kind of working on various questions uh, regarding this technology.
1: Right. And so how does the app... um Detect who might have been exposed. How close to the exposed person does the other devices have to do they have to be to be counted as potentially exposed?
2: So the way I think you know that there is an exposed person is if the person themselves reports it into the system or to an a known authority, such as, for example, the campus medical officers, etc., who can then work backwards to and then they can work backwards with the system to try to figure out where they might have been. So one of the applications that the system has is this concept of creating potentially exposed regions or maps, creating exposure maps. And what that will tell you is uh, here's a person who might have been potentially exposed. You don't need to know who they are. Remember privacy is kind of front and center in um, the design of this uh, system. You the person may not necessarily remember where they have been in the past couple of weeks, which is something that the system can assist with in trying to find out where could they have potentially been and uh, create a dashboard, if you will, to say here is here are potentially exposed regions. And there are two ways for people to find this out. One way is for you to go and look into that dashboard, which is Think of it as going to a website to look for where are potentially exposed regions, and think about whether you might have been there recently. Another way to do about uh, to do this is to register to get a notification. In which case, of course, you'll have to provide your identity or some way to be contacted, saying that hey, you might have been potentially exposed.
0: So, so let me actually add to that a little bit. Okay, so in the system basically when you uh, store information about yourself right because we need to know who was at what location this information is stored using a secret right so the, there's no identity you cannot infer from that who that person was right when you tell the system that you have been exposed for example yourself you're reporting let's say you were infected right you don't again give us your identity at all you give us a secret Right, so that secret. Since we do not know who the secret belongs to, we do not know who the person is. So th- that's why the, what Nalini is referring to privacy, because we don't get the identity of the person at all. He doesn't have to. He or she doesn't have to identify themselves. They just to give us the corresponding, let's say, secret. When do you do the match, the secret is good enough for us to match and figure out the locations where the person could have been. For the location, the uh, exp- the the uh, level of accuracy that we get is, at the so we don't get six feet. So typically they say contact tracing is six feet, right? Like six feet, 10 minutes. We don't get that because that's very, very, very difficult to do using just Wi-Fi technology. fact, probably impossible to sort of do in a very accurate way. But what we do get using machine learning code is at the level of room. So imagine if you are in a particular room, let's say classroom or a conference room or something like that, we get around 90% accuracy there. Like by simply by uh, knowing, uh, disambiguating, and and figuring out using machine learning code, we can sort of get 90% accuracy for room level. So if the room is large, uh, let's say, you still don't know six feet stuff, right? But what you do know is there is a potential of exposure, right? So at this stage, once the identity of the locations are known, now what can happen is that you can uh, come in as an end user, and without again revealing yourself at all, you can basically check using your secret whether you are in the same room as the infected person right because the rooms now are known, correct so i can check whether basically i could have been exposed or not again this is not contact tracing but this is sort of a possible danger of contact right it's it's essentially that and once you can check you can also as nalini is saying if you further give your identity and whatever it is then you can even get notification on the system but for that we need to know who to send the message to Right? So, otherwise, right. everything is done in an encrypted domain.
1: Wow, that's a very smart way to set things up. Do you predict that this app will significantly reduce the number of cases that are spreading at UCI?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there is uh, significant potential for the kind of technologies that we have been discussing to reduce the virus transmission. Uh, you know, just think about uh, occupant density. I mean, we know. That these super spreading events are like a big way in which this virus is is uh, spreading. Well, I mean, if we have a if we have a handle on density uh, in rooms and spaces, uh, the supervisors of those spaces and those uh, departments or schools can take suitable actions to reduce those densities and make sure that the people are following physical distancing guidelines. So. Uh, uh, I think there are multiple ways in which the technology and its apps, if they pan out as we think they will based on the research that's already been done and the research that's ongoing, I think there is good potential for positive impact on not just, you you know, I mean on, on every, on any organization that adopts it.
1: Right. I definitely agree.
2: To add to that, I think, um, you know, the fact that you as an end user can go up to a website or a dashboard to say, uh, what is the occupancy of the space right now? And what are, you know, is it crowded? Is it not crowded? Have a lot of people been through there recently? You You can change your behavior too. You can decide not to go to a particular place or take a class online instead of actually showing up. Uh, in person. And I think in the long term, this can influence um, and diminish the spread. Because it can influence people's behavior in terms of whether they go to certain spaces or not.
1: Yes, I know definitely when I'm considering going out, I'm always wondering, oh, how crowded is this place right now? And knowing that in advance would be a very big advantage. I'd love to hear more about how you came up with this idea. I heard you were previously using this technology before in another project called Tippers. Uh, could you tell me a little more about that?
2: Yeah, so Tippers was a project that started about four and a half years ago. And this was a project funded by, the, um, by DARPA, well, uh, the Department of Defense. And the emphasis of that particular project was to try to look at new technologies and look at the privacy implications of those technologies and to come up with uh, ways in which the advantage of new technologies such as the internet of things could be availed of without encroaching on the privacy of individuals. So um, privacy and encryption technologies have been around and have been uh, sort of ramping up for a while. The question is, what does it take to actually deploy them in practice, and what are um, privacy leakages that can occur? So this is a project that um, we've been working on for a while now, and um, one of the domain, the, the sort of domains in which we try to uh, apply it or deploy it, was in the context of creating smart buildings and smart spaces, where you have uh, users and you have sensors and in instrumented spaces. Uh, that are capturing information, perhaps for things like public safety, such as, you know, is there a fire in the building? How many occupants are there? Um, Or it could just be for a purpose purpose that a student might want to know, is there a free conference room that I can meet with uh, some of my friends to have a study session in? And, but I wanted to, we want to be able to provide these kinds of services without actually encroaching and identifying individuals, unless it was absolutely necessary for the service. And so this is how this uh, project started out. And, um, you know, come January when, uh, or March actually, when uh, the COVID crisis started to sort of uh, become much more evident and the campus started to close down, it became obvious to us that this technology could be morphed to provide information about, you know, occupancy of spaces and, Uh, provide information to campus, uh, the departments, the organizers and campus personnel about, you know, what kind of social, whether the social distancing measures that promote, for example, put into place were being adhered to or not. Um, Sharon, you want to say something more about dippers?
0: Sure, sure. So, so, uh, Sybil, think of, okay, when the sensor world took over, right, which is basically about, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, you might have heard of it. There were projects like LifeLog, right? Like, there were people, what they did was they sort of wore sensors on themselves to monitor all their activities, right? Whatever they were doing. Usually it was video camera and some, whatever, some other other sensors and so on. Now, if you think back, let's say, what, like it's been 15 years since this thing started. Now every one of us got a smartwatch, every one of us got a Fitbit or something like that. We are using this on a daily basis, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, For variety of applications. In this case, the medical applications sort of dominated everything else. Now, replace the functioning of an individual, right? With that of, let's say, organizations such as UCI. So what's our, let's say, lifeline for us? Or what is the main thing that sort of UCI happens in a campus? Is basically people and their activities and their movement, right? So what you can think of what Tippers did is try to create, especially a light log for a university, right? Where we are capturing exactly all the events that are happening, who's participating, who's not participating. This data that's getting generated is sort of getting captured, right? Of course, there's a huge, basically, privacy issue. Like, in the previous case, the privacy issue is sort of still there, but the privacy involved, like, if you are the only consumer of your own data, there's not as much of a privacy concern. The privacy concern there was hey what if it, it runs on the cloud and they get access to all my data and then you would have heard of a lot of challenges and issues that have happened as a result of it right when people start collecting data so but specifically your own data was your it's fine in this case the organizations the problem changes becomes much more complex right we have got organizations which are generating data i'm capturing at the organization level but the data sort of is about you right that's why there's privacy concerns like you might not be happy for this data to be used in any weird way, essentially, right? But yet at the same time, the data is extremely useful. As you have seen, like, let me gave you some examples, and then I'll give you a couple of more examples of it, right? So imagine, I mean, this is very real, can be very real Let's say at UCI. Imagine an earthquake, right? And imagine that uh, somebody's need to evacuate the whole region, Suddenly I need this question, how many people are there on campus? Because if I'm doing any planning, I need to know the answer to that question, right? So that will be an example of it, use case of it, right? So there are lots and lots of such applications that are there where you require essentially where people are, how many people are there and so on, this knowledge. At the same time, it is encroaching on your privacy because now we know who you are, where you are and so on, right? So therefore, the Tipper's project was all about how can you build applications which are useful while at the same time ensuring that there is a privacy preservation completely. I do not need to be able to track you. So there's a lot of work that's happened in the group, which is sort of trying to quantify what privacy means, how do you measure it, how do you ensure it, to what level can I share information uh, such that people, uh, there are some guarantees of privacy that you can get. So it's not just UCI, by the way. The PIPER's project sort of uh, uh, involved, a variety of different, let's say, organizations. Like There's Duke University involved, there's CME involved, there is uh, uh, there's, there's a company Honey called Bell. Stealth involved, there's a... Honeywell was involved.
2: involved.
0: Honeywell Does was involved, there's Honeywell involved. There's a lot, a lot of players essentially in this, right? So they sort of, all of us collaborated, they work on different aspects of privacy technology. There's a thing called differential privacy, uh, which is there, there's cryptography, there's actually function, there's hugely advanced techniques like functional secret sharing, there are a lot of different techniques just sort of built in to build such applications, actually. And not just that, like what happened is that the success of tippers and these technologies along with tippers sort of got played uh, out and there was transitional technology to Navy. So Navy has sort of installed it in a couple of the exercises. Actually, there's a big effort actually in the context of COVID itself. So Navy is trying to use our technology to sort of do COVID monitoring inside ships. So that's also happening at the same time. So uh, Tipper sort of uh, was in essentially a system while ensuring privacy, building smart services on top of data.
2: And when we built the Tipper system, we also actually had ran hackathons in which a lot of UCI undergraduates participated and they came up and developed some cool applications Um, again, uh, for the purpose of the students. So one one example of an application that I like to talk about is called Professor Tail. So it's for students to try to figure out whether professors are in their office during office hours and how big the line is so that they can decide whether to go to office hours now or not. So uh, there was another interesting application with uh, respect to recycling on campus called Zot Bins, which is a very interesting team of undergraduates. They developed these smart trash bins around campus that uh, told folks uh, where they could find the nearest recycling bin, where they could find the nearest compost bin, and also gave them information about what to put in each bin. So the use cases for all of these things, whether it's environmental sustainability, public safety, or for something like COVID, help. Um, The question is, there's definite utility with these technologies. And the question is, how much privacy can I preserve while still giving the utility? And that was what the TIPL's project was all about.
1: Wow, that is amazing. And so you mentioned that this is completely privacy-preserving because there are not names and data associated with the devices being tracked. And so do you think that this will be a good way to provide data to public health agencies about where people are and what cases have been happening?
3: So, you know, as uh, you know, the university has a very good collaborative relationship with Orange County Public Health, which is the public health agency responsible for COVID-19. And uh, first and foremost, we will certainly comply with and honor and Uh, all the applicable rules and regulations. Uh, At this point, you it's still like uh, we have said, this is still an ongoing research project. And then at some point we will decide which of these applications have the most value to uh, controlling the spread of the virus. And at that point, uh, we will certainly share with Orange County Public Health whatever uh, data is appropriate to be shared Uh, but it's hard to sort of anticipate what that might be. It might be actually the reverse where Orange County has information about infected individuals and they could use these apps to reduce the burden of contact tracing, for example. So one of the ways in which we are thinking of this technology is it doesn't replace the human effort in contact tracing. I mean, contact tracing is still going to have significant human effort, but this app can reduce... The human effort, and also make it more accurate because we can assist people with where they might have been because the system no system can help the individual recollect where they were five days ago, or uh, you know uh, because of all the delays in uh, knowing uh, the results of testing, and so I, I think you know there is going to be some collaboration which uh, is going to be very beneficial uh, for for people, for students, staff, and faculty, and Orange County in reducing the spread of this virus.
1: Right. And so how how does this app compare to um, other COVID-19 tracking technologies? Were you inspired by any other projects that were also happening at the time? So
0: this is different in the following sense. I think if you look at... A lot of the work that's happened from a technological perspective, of COVID nineteen, right? What they focused is on things like GPS technology or Bluetooth based technologies, right? Or basically uh, tracking people and determining whether uh, they're close in proximity to each other or not. Some of those technologies have actually completely violated privacy, but others have more recently sort of they've constructed in a strong way as well. But I think the difference between them and us largely is that we are looking more at the organizational role. So you are not, not looking necessarily at the level of individuals and the apps individuals can carry. But we are trying to find a situation where sort of the organizations as they reopen, right, they can reopen safely and ensure safety of the people who are visiting in the organization itself. So if you sort of think about it, when the COVID sort of the initial role was that of uh, the responsibility of closure, for example, to prevent, let's say, spread, that sort of belonged to the government, right? So the government played a huge role in dictating the policy that the organization need to close. All restaurants must be closed, all universities must be closed, whatever it is, right? So they dictate it to a large degree, right? So you can sort of look at the way the technology can help or even the process can help at the government level, at the, at the organization level and at the, let's say, individual level. So we are sort of at the organization level. So when organizations reopen, what role can they play, right, in terms of ensuring safety of people? So that's quite novel in that sense. Now, it's others are catching on. There are, organi- there are other people who are looking at the same kind of stuff as well, uh, concurrently as we look at it as well. So there's some work going on in Amherst, which is sort of related There are one or two companies that are starting to look into this kind of stuff. Because, so it's ongoing. Right. Yeah. So to add to that, you know, a lot
1: of
2: these... Um, contact tracing technologies that are based on Bluetooth and proximity and uh, looking at individual data. um, I think one of the issues that arises is that when your privacy is being encroached on, people tend to stop using these technologies. So I think um, adoption is critical to any technology of this kind where you're trying to, you don't know if If you're tracking people by, you know, or tracking occupancy, using people's devices, if people don't participate, then you have wrong information to begin with. So um, adoption is critical. And in order to get that adoption, it is important to convince people that you're not uh, misusing their data or violating their privacy. So I think um, um, it's important to um, take that into account. The second aspect I think that's unique about what we're doing is also because there is no real app to download, right? Um, It's easier for people to use it. The uh, deployment for an organization is inherent just by virtue of the fact that you're connecting to the Wi-Fi for whatever purpose you need to connect to the Wi-Fi for. So there's no issue of, hey, this technology doesn't work with my device or this app doesn't work with my device and makes it simpler. And also, um, the adoption is higher because people might are more convinced. If people can be convinced that it's not going to interfere with their privacy, then
0: I. Think the only way for you to sort of not participate is by if you switch off your only devices. But you know, uh, people don't. So people actually want to have the devices on. So you you are being in that sense a passive technology, right? So we it's not that you've downloaded anything. It's not that you have to actively do anything at all. It's passive. Therefore, it's adoption. It is going to be much higher.
1: Right. Yeah, it's very smart how almost everyone uses the Wi-Fi and they're not going to be worried about privacy issues because of the way it's set up. How long has the app been in the testing phase?
0: So we started some... So as you know, Tipper's been going on for a while, but this specific COVID-19 sort of thing started... In March, actually March fourteenth uh, or something. No, eleventh is the date when the university had a closure, and twelfth is when we started sort of saying, okay, we need to convert what we have to uh, use it for COVID nineteen. By around March eighteenth or nineteenth, we had already had initial sort of a uh, application deployed, uh, which we could test. So it's been going on, and then since then, there's been a lot of research going on in cryptography and then protocols to sort of uh, ensure that we are able to sort of and also scalability There's a lot of challenges that you have to address to basically make system work so it's been going on since probably March uh, 20th or so I would say.
1: Wow that's so fast.
0: <laughs> very fast yes. But this was a ideal application essentially for technology we're building so right. that's why it was uh, very. And uh, We did
2: get National Science Foundation funding to help develop this technology further. And so we are working on it as part of that National Science Foundation funded
3: research project. And that was specifically for COVID-19.
1: Are there any other uh, improvements to make or issues that you're still trying to work out in the app?
0: So There are several issues, of course. There's always this research, right? So there's always issues. So, I think the first issue, they're, they're, they're actually, is a list of these things, right? So, one of the first thing is that a technology can only be used or will only be adopted if it's accurate. Now, accuracy in that sense is a very, very big deal because uh, using Wi Fi technology to sort of do assessment of occupancy, location of people is bound with errors, it's sort of there are errors in gel- the gel- 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 Now you can do machine learning techniques to improve on it, but really the hard testing of it is when it actually gets tested and used, right? So going from where we are to where this could be a widely deployed technology, you have still have ways to go in that sense. So that's one. Scalability is another one of the same things. So it's one thing to work on a small, let's say, setup versus uh, one or two or 10 buildings to go into, let's say, a whole campus 24-7. Uh, that's where everyone wants to be, right? So. That's another complexity that comes in. Being able to make this technology portable so that you can sort of deploy it, not just at UCI, but at anywhere, it is intended that, that it's basically deployed anywhere, right? But to get the technology to be that robust, that it can actually go and uh, be deployed easily at other locations, that's another whole set sort of challenges that are sort of there. So there's several issues that are to be addressed. And I'm sure Nathalie has her own list or promoters' own list of <laughs> things that they would want to see.
2: So there are technical issues, and there are issues in being able to ins- ensure that policy criteria, especially with respect to um, you know public health, etc., are actually being met uh, with uh, the technology that we have. So we are um, working in concert and getting you know um, feedback from folks in public health from epidemiologists to see how we can make the technology more useful for the purposes that uh, they intend, for the information that they need. And uh, that is, um, you know, a constant thing that we are we continue to work on constantly.
1: Well, that's about all the time that we have, but thank you all so much. I've really enjoyed learning about this exciting new technology.
3: Thank you, you. Sibel. Thank
1: Thank you so Take
0: care Thank you so and have
1: a great day.
3: Good luck. Good luck.
1: That was Dr. Nalini Venkata-Subramanian, Dr. Sharad Maroda, and Dr. Pramad Karganikar, computer scientists at UC Irvine, talking about their app that tracks social distancing and contact tracing of COVID-19. I'm Sabelle Kaler, and this has been Office Hours on KUCI. To find out more and listen to past episodes, you can go to our website at bit.ly/officehourskuci or email me at ckaehler at kuci.org. Listeners, I hope you have a great day. Stay healthy and be kind to each other out there.